What's going on, guys? Before we get started on this episode of the podcast, make sure that you're following, you're subscribed, and give the show a rate. really helps us reach a wide variety of people so we can make some awesome content for you. Also, make sure you go follow us on Instagram at innovators.anonymous. You can get all the updated news on the show and see what's going to be coming down the pipeline next. Have a good one and enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Innovators Anonymous. My name is Colin Waitsman. I'm going to be your guide today. And this episode is really exciting. Uh, we have one of the, the best pole vault coaches in the, in the country coming out with us, uh, Bronco. He's a coach for the Apex Pole Vaulting Club in northern New Jersey. Uh, they've had nine All-Americans, over three national champions, 66 national qualifiers, and many, many more statistics along with that. Uh, Bronco, thanks a lot for, for joining the show and uh, looking forward to talking with you. Hey, no, no, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And uh, like we said right before the podcast, I'm excited because I have a podcast of my own. I'm always interviewing people, asking them their opinions. Uh, so it's going to be fun to share some of my thoughts on, on the topics that you want to bring up. For sure, for sure. That that was actually something I wanted to to hop into because your show was really one of the first podcasts that I ever listened to. I remember okay. uh, being in a freshman and in late in high school and listening to the, the your Apex pole vaulting uh, wow. shows. Uh, so, wondering how did you get the idea of even starting uh, a, a podcast? So it, it's kind of crazy. I, I think there's two people that are huge inspirations for me. They're not people I actually know, uh, but one being Joe Rogan. So Joe Rogan has his sure. uh, podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, mm-hmm. which I thought was amazing. You know, he he would bring in comedians, scientists, politicians, all kinds of different people, and and you could learn about their perspective. And I really liked the idea that Joe said, you know, in podcasts you get these long form conversations where you can really flesh out some ideas. You know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times watching something that's traditional media where you get, you know, a 20 second soundbite of what someone's thinking doesn't really give you an opportunity to explain your opinion or your stance on things. And I think a podcast is an amazing, amazing opportunity for people to really talk about things. And, you know, Colin, you being a, a, a pole vaulter, you know, there are some hot debates in, in pole vaulting, you know, as far as <laughs> technique or sure. who's the best. And I think a podcast is a great format for us to actually talk about those technical things. Um, the other person that was an inspiration was Gary Vaynerchuk. Most people know him as Gary V. He's a New mm. Jersey guy. I love him. He, um, he took his dad's liquor store from $6 million a year to $60 million a year, I think, in five years. And he was really one of the first people to start talking about online marketing. And he talked about it as like, you know, if you have a small business, you should do a podcast. It's a great, great way for people to get to know you. And I totally agree. I think, you know, I was a little bit hesitant at first. And one of my college guys, actually, Billy Fredericks, who still coaches at the club, mm-hmm. he was like, dude, let's do our own Joe Rogan podcast. And I was like, you know what, if you want to help me, let's do it. And so we ordered some equipment initially, which obviously things have evolved and I, and I, and I do the podcast uh, differently now, yeah. but you know, we started doing it together. We got some great guests in the beginning. You know, we've had Jim B. Miller who coached Tim Mack in the 2004 Olympics to, to Olympic gold. Uh, we've had Katie Najat on, we've had Katarina Stefaniti on, so a slew of people. And then a lot of just coaches that are maybe club scene coaches or coaches that I, I'm close with and I'd love for them to share their opinions and I think it's given an opportunity for people to really hear 
people's perspectives. Like I know even one time talking to Jeff Coover, who's been on my podcast twice now, uh, we, we had somewhat of disagreement, not that we completely agree on any of these topics today, yeah. but like by doing the podcast, we both were able to understand each other's perspective. And I think that's the beauty of something like a podcast. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic platform to do exactly what you said, to be able to have these long-form discussions that you normally get to have. I mean, there, there are very few times in my life that I'm having hour-long conversations with people. Right. <laughs> you just right. don't get that, that time, especially with you know, the speed of everything going on today. So it's, it's always great to be able to you know, really flesh out some ideas, especially in something that is as widespread, but is also so niche as track and field. I think yeah. it's I think it's crazy how, and we're in a very niche part with pole vaulting, but it's crazy how so many people, when you say, what did you do in in high school or what sports Mm -hmm. did you play cross country or track and field? And then you say, oh, like, who are some of your favorite runners now? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's wild how there, it's such a wide, wide played sport or competed in sport, but you know, it's not well-known uh, as of currently. Yeah, you, you always hear the numbers. It's like, oh, track has the highest participation rate. And it's interesting you bring it up. And I think there, there's a couple things that people have to talk about if they really want to be honest about track and field. Mm-hmm. I get it. We have the highest participation rate. But why? Because most track teams don't do cuts. Like if you think about it, a basketball team you have five starters. They usually carry no more than what, like 11, 15 kids on yeah, a team. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, if they had 50 kids on a basketball team, most people wouldn't play. Right. Mm-hmm. So even like if you count varsity, JV and freshman, fine, you have maybe a total of 40 across all three of those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you look at even something like football. I mean, look, I know track athletes get upset when a football player says they can run the hundred and I'm not saying they could beat Usain Bolt. But football players are some of the best athletes on the planet. I mean, but they're training specifically for football. So they have to sacrifice maybe a little bit of speed because they need some size, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think with track, we don't cut anybody. Everybody gets to participate. You go to a track meet. There's how many heats of the 100, the 200, even the Meets last two, three days. (laughs) Right. It's crazy. Right. So, and the thing is, you know, and I know you sent me some of the topics that you want to go over. So, I mean, I'm going to let you bring those up when you want, but I think professionally speaking, there's so many gaps, you know, there's so many things that track is missing out on to help popularize the sport. And that's why too, when you're in high school, there's nowhere for you to go. You can't tune into ESPN or turn into NBC on Saturdays and watch a track meet. And I don't know about you, but when I watch a track meet, oh my goodness, it's like, so boring. You know what I mean? Like I, I'd rather watch almost any other sport because the the broadcast is not, not done very well. Yeah. Especially it's, it's kind of disappointing uh, being a, a member of the community and, and mm-hmm. seeing where it, it's fantastic. Like I, I love running as much, watching running as much as the next guy, especially during quarantine. I've been getting out a little bit more, but I can only watch so many laps of the, the 10 K. Like, right. I can only watch so many. And there's so many other events going on that people right. forget about, you know, pole vaulting, long jump, high jump, shot put. There's so many cool events that just get left uh, on the wayside, um, which is disappointing. Yeah. And, and I think he, here's the thing that kind of bothers me about the way they broadcast it. You know, you're right. I mean, watching, you know, a 5K on the track can, oh my God, it t- takes forever. And, 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 and it's not 
commentated on properly. I I think the thing is when you listen to commentators for track and field, they don't get specific enough. They don't break down the event. And two, way too nice. Everybody's (laughs) doing a great job. You know, awesome. There's no one to ever look at and be like, you know, that guy really screwed up. He tried to kick too early. Like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like he choked, you know, there's never any of that. And again, like thinking about, you know, I mentioned Joe Rogan before he commentates for UFC and early on in UFC, no one understood grappling, right? You only understood when people were punching and kicking. And so when a lot of times the fights went to the ground and people were grappling, they didn't understand. But because of commentators like Joe Rogan that broke down the techniques, now you watch a grappling event, it's exciting. You don't need the guys to slug it out and punch each other in the face. Watching that, that puzzle of grappling is exciting too. And I think there's a lot of things in track, like specifically like if I talk about pole vault right now, I mean the decision-making of whether or not to go up a pole, whether or not to grip up or down, where to put the standards, do you adjust the person's step, you know? Do we pass? You know, it's like maybe we missed our first step at a height. There's only three people left. Do we pass to the next bar? There's so much drama that unfolds. Like, you know, you bring up the national championships. And it was actually two athletes that won three national titles for me in the Division Three uh, NCAA level. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, those moments in the coach's box, making some of those decisions, there was so much drama but we, we never present track that way. We, we don't, because we're almost afraid of hurting each other's feelings. You know, everybody did a good job and that's it. And we leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's really, it's really interesting because you very rarely hear rivalries in track and field. Uh, right. I know I want to get into the, the, the Olympics uh, mm-hmm. shortly, but one thing that I thought was really interesting for the sport was last year with LSU in Houston. Remember that whole fiasco with the, one, the four by one coming right. to the end? Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, this is terrible for the sport. I'm like, no, this is awesome. This is a of rivalry course. that we never get. And you, and it's, I think this is great because this is what gets people interesting. Like you don't want to just see everyone hugging at the end, like, but you want to see this, th- these, these crazy things going on. Right. So, I mean, Colin, you know, you, you were talking about competing in high school and uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. You went to the Mount? For uh, yeah. Yeah. I went to okay. Mount St. Mary's. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you tell me, maybe I'm wrong. But I'm sure that in high school and also in college, especially going to conferences, there were teams that you guys were trying to beat. Like there were teams that you didn't like. It wasn't friendly. You know, maybe after the meet, you high five or whatever. But during the meet, it's like you want to destroy those guys. And I I don't understand why we can't have an honest conversation about that in, in track and field. Like, and what's very, very interesting to me is if when you watch some of these professional, you know, track athletes compete, you know, if it's Diamond League or some low-key meet, they're very, very chummy. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Renault Villani did not cry in Brazil because he was. there were tears of joy for Tiago beating him. Yeah. He cried in Brazil because he was upset about losing. And mm-hmm. I think when you go to the Olympic Games and when you see the World Championships, and that really matters to those, those guys and gals, mm-hmm. then you see real emotion. Then you see it come out. And people get pissed. And listen, off the podcast, I've heard from some professionals who are like, hey, so-and-so and so-and-so don't like each other. Yeah. So those things are really happening, but we, we present this fake, Dance around it, yeah. Yeah, we have this fake, super nice atmosphere that we're trying to present. And here's the thing. What's more popular? Track and field with a super nice um, you know, facade yeah. or UFC, which is like 
over-the-top, you know, competitive. UFC, obviously, yeah, because right. people love seeing the rivalries. Uh, I know talking about the Olympics, so I, I actually had the chance with my family to go to the 2016 Olympics, and we were watching awesome. that we were watching that final, the pole vault final. And so we were sitting at like, it was really late. It was like 10 PM because of all the rain that was going on. We were sitting right. in the stands and it was when it was Lavillani versus uh, Tiago Braz. And obviously with the Olympics being in Brazil. Right. So we were obviously reaching, rooting for Sam uh, Kendricks, mm-hmm. obviously because right. of the American. USA. Yeah. And so I remember Sam Kendricks, he cleared uh, a bar this and like we were rooting, like yeah, let's go! And then like yeah. all the people in the stands were like booing us. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. This is yeah. like actual competition. This isn't right. like, you know, if we were at districts or something, and it's like right. everyone cheers for everyone. This is like country versus country. People are, you know, right. it was awesome. I was, I, it took me, it took me a second to register. I'm like, wait a minute, like this is this is a big deal. Like this is like a team versus team. I, I, it was a great yeah. atmosphere. And I, look. I obviously wasn't at the Olympics, but I was at home. I had the the live feed going. I was literally at the edge of my seat with that whole Renault Tiago, uh, you know, Tiago awesome. passed and he missed his first time. And then when he makes it, it was like, oh my, it blew me away. Yeah, his. I think what he really did was, was crazy to be able to get the Olympic record and didn't and Lavillani got it too. They both broke it, but then right. Tiago broke it a second time. Right. And so that drama of, you know, records breaking, record breaking was crazy. And um, and Tiago PR'd significantly that day. By a lot. Yeah, I think he, a lot. he PR'd by 10 centimeters or something. Like yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. he did great. So that, moving- that's where also too, like this is the thing that I always uh discuss with people. You know, we want to say that, let's say you have two vaulters and one jumps six meters and one jumps 602. And mm-hmm. we're all like, oh, well, the 602 guy is better. Two centimeters is an inch. Yeah, it's not. That's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if I told you, hey, Colin, listen, we're going to conference next week mm-hmm. and the guy ahead of you is one inch better than you. I don't think you have a shot. You'd be like, coach, what's wrong with you? Of course <laughs> I have a shot. He's an inch better, you yeah. know? And and that's that's what people don't realize. Like, those guys are so close and, and the women are so close that if you come to compete, you don't know what could happen, you know? Yeah. On meet day, really anything can happen. You can, right. any, anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this 2021 Olympics. I'm, I'm, I'm really upset that it got postponed. Yeah. I, I know that for different athletes, it means different things. I know you had Chase uh, on your podcast recently, yes. uh, yeah, who Chase sadly... Brandon. Yeah, sadly retired after, you know, it being postponed, which is which is awful. But it also opens the door up for a lot of athletes that are just sure. entering that phase. Uh I don't know. What what were what were your feelings when you heard that they were deciding to move the Olympics to twenty twenty one? Right. So, you know, you bring up someone like Chase Brandon who, you know, you feel for the guy. You know, he's been training a long time. He's been putting, you know, his life on hold to a certain extent to train and try to make the Olympic games. And so I, I really feel for people like that. And I, I get it. I mean, listen, to a certain extent, you know, I've made a lot of sacrifices to build up my club. Now today it's different. I mean, obviously with coronavirus, we're not open and, you know, we've, we've been dealing with that. Uh, but, you know, I, I actually created a business. And so now I get to do what I love and make money and, and you know, enjoy my life. 
Yeah. I think it's really, really hard for these athletes who are putting their life on hold. They're not going after a career. Maybe they're not, you know, marrying someone because mm-hmm. they're trying to, to train for the Olympics. I kind of hope that through this experience more, and I, I'm selfishly going to talk about pole vaulters, but um, I hope that pole vaulters start to say, hey, why don't we do our own thing? Because even when I had Chase on the podcast, one of the things that I brought up you know, people always want to talk about records, right? And like, we were just talking about, like someone will make a big deal. It's like, oh, did you hear like John jumped six meters, but Steve just went 602. Mm-hmm. Who cares? That's, that's basically the same jump. You know what I mean? Like in NASCAR, you're never going to hear someone be like, oh my God, this person had the, the fastest lap by, you know, half a mile. Pra- who cares? The day mm-hmm. of the race, you don't know who's going to win. That guy might have the fastest car, but that doesn't mean he's going to win. And I think the same thing with pole vault. And what I said to Chase is like, look, you could always have a short run event at your club. If you jump 16 feet from five lefts, everyone's going to think that's amazing. Like to the average person, if they came into a club facility, like I'll tell you what, when, when I have my pole vault club championships at Apex, we have a facility that's 5,400 square feet. We will pack that place. We'll have 100 competitors that day. Obviously, they're now competing at the same time. Yeah. Um, but you know, hundred competitors, 130 spectators. So at max, you know, when things are really going crazy in there, you'll probably have about, you know, 15, 20 total competitors in the building. And then you probably have another 40 to 60 spectators. Packed house. Yeah. And there's a DJ an announcer. And man, when people see even, you know, someone jump 15 feet, they are going nuts in there. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and with the announcer doing the job of telling people like, hey, this guy is behind on jumps. He needs to clear this bar. And when then he clears the bar, boom, you know, you blow the top off the building. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a way to market our event and put on our own events. Like, you know, in so I, I don't know if you know, Kyle, are you, are you familiar with like the process of what a lot of these guys go through to go to Diamond League meets? Not, not exactly certain of like what they do to get to, to Diamond League meets now. So, you know, obviously there are the, guy, the guys and gals that have huge sponsorship, right? Like when we're talking about someone like Sam Kendricks or Sandy yeah. Morris, sure. They go over there, they get taken care of. But for a lot of people who are on like the fringe, you know, so let's, let's talk about like maybe that guy who's jumping 1810 to 193, maybe mm-hmm. the, the female vaulter that's jumping, you know, 15 to like 15, six ish right now, depending on the country. Cause that's the other thing that's really important that people don't realize a lot of these athletes that do get good deals. They're in a country where track is bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're an American, you know, and you're an American female vaulter and you're jumping 15, 15, three, you're probably just getting offered the opportunity to go to diamond league meets. So now when you go there, you know, you might actually lose money spending a summer in Europe going to diamond league meets. Why? Mm-hmm. When you could have stayed home, like I always think of like the, the group out in Arizona, you know, Garrett Starkey, Trey Oates, yeah. uh, Nathan Hyatt, like those guys are a great gang and there's a great pole vault community in Arizona. They literally could like every weekend swap which club they're jumping at promote it through social media. Heck, go hand out, you know, leaflets at, at the local supermarket and be like, hey, are you looking for a great time this weekend? Ten, for only $10, you get to watch some of the best American vaulters around, you know, yeah. and we're going to duke it out and whatever. And you get people to come, you know, start out with 10 bucks. People will pay. I charge $10 for my spectators. They pay, you know, and mm-hmm. now you have prize money. And now people can slowly start building up the scene 
and kind of make their own thing. And yeah. now no one can control you. The IOC can't tell you what to do. USATF can't tell you what to do. You're kind of building your own league and that's going to afford a lot more opportunities. And I almost think about it like kind of how skateboarders got started out, you know, the X games, even honestly, like if you think about the WWE wrestling got started, it was a regionalized sport. And then finally the WWE was formed, which brought all these federations together. And now, you know, it is what it is. Um, I just hope people start to think about the other opportunities out there because it, it makes me sad. I, I really like, I get upset when I, I, when I think about someone that maybe sacrificed 10 years of their life and guess what? Even if you made the Olympics, but you didn't place, what do you get out of that financially? And, and great. You went to the Olympics and I hope that person's happy, but you hear a lot of stories from former Olympians who, you know, there's some bitterness because they gave a lot and think about this. I think gold right now pays you 30,000, 30,000. Imagine sacrificing 10 years of your life and you are the best in the world at what you do and you get $30,000. It's not a, it's not, it's not a, a fantastic paycheck when you think about all the hours that you're putting in uh, day in and day out. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a job. It's a 365 right. job at that point. Like, and, uh, and think about the Olympics on, on this realm. And then we could talk about, who we think is going to win next year if that's yeah. what we do. But like the Olympics is the only sports league per se that has free labor. They don't have to pay any of their athletes. Because it's technically amateur. Yeah. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and it's, and it's like, it's a joke. How much money are, are the, is the Olympic committee making? How many people are stuffing their pockets full of cash? I mean, listen, in the UFC, Fighters get pissed when they don't get, you know, a million dollars or six million dollars or whatever it is, like Conor McGregor does, who has a big draw, right? Yeah. Could you imagine if they were getting nothing? Who would yeah, be fighting? It, you know? No one. Yeah, it's right. it's definitely uh, a, a pretty uh, crazy thing to see uh, that you, you got some of the best athletes in the world that really, you it's just not feasible to be able to continue your sport with, because of you know, the, the compensation issues, which is really disappointing. And right. I know for, for me, it stinks because really you don't even need to know uh, anything about pole vaulting to see that it's a cool sport. Right. Like, you can go like when you do these street vaults, like my favorite thing about doing street vaults, uh, beach vaults or, or vaulting in a mall. I've never done yeah. it, but I know people have yeah. is that you have people that have never seen pole vaulting in their entire life. And you can have a kid that really isn't that great, maybe jumps like 10, 11 feet. And that, that person's like, that's awesome. That's the right. coolest thing ever. And then like, they see someone 14 feet, they're like, that's even better. And then it's like, you're not seeing top of the, le- top of the uh, bucket talent, but it's still awesome because it's like an art form. It's super cool. No, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. And like you said, I think we sometimes, as pole vault fans, we're sometimes like wine connoisseurs. You know, like those wine snobs, you know, they'll yeah. take a sip of wine and then they'll complain about it. And, mm-hmm. or they're like, oh yes, you can taste the, the oaky notes from the barrel <laughs> that this sat in, you know, yeah. and we kind of become like pole vault snobs. So we're like, oh, that guy only jumped 19 feet. Like only, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like I even, when I hear certain people talk about, you know, male vaulters, especially just, I, I don't know. I end up talking to a lot of people in that, that area. It's like, They'll poo-poo guys who are jumping 17-8. Like, oh my God, you only jumped 540, just 17-8, you suck. 
you suck. You know how good you have to be to jump 17, eight, like that, that's amazing. And it's yeah. awe inspiring, you know? So it's like what we sometimes neglect in the pole vault is for people who are not, not, you know, so, um, schooled on the sport. They think some of the, even the lower heights are amazing because it is, how do you, you'll never see someone fly 14 feet through the air, you know, in any other sport because yeah. they don't have an apparatus like we do, you know? Yeah, it's it's really it's really cool uh, just to be able to watch. I mean, that's what got me interested in it because I I was a freshman and I saw the senior guy who at the time was a well yeah at the time was a our school record holder still is and state record holder six, jumped sixteen six yeah. saw him jumping and I'm like yeah that's what I got to do looks so cool hundred percent yeah you're I mean not for nothing you're not gonna go watch you know someone run a 400 look like they're gonna die and be like yeah, I want to do that <laughs> you know do that's that. not the first thing you think of but the pole vault I mean when I first started coaching I coached at West Milford High School in New Jersey mm-hmm. and we would practice all summer so we'd be set up outside and it was like a, a public track so the town people would come and the lights would even go on the lights would be on until 10 that's p.m. Cool. I think we would have like rows of little kids that came with their mom and dad just sitting in the grass watching us pull vault and they loved it. And it, it's just, that's the thing. You're so right. It, it, there is a draw to pull vault. It's there. It's just getting people to think that that's a possibility. And I, I hate to harp on it, but the Olympics is part of the problem because so many people are so dead set about the Olympics yeah. that they don't think about the other opportunities. Like I was talking to this one guy, he actually won the uh, the pole vault club championships on the second year and the prize money ended up being $800. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to this guy and you know, he was one of these guys that wanted to train for trials and stuff. And I said, man, could you imagine this thing growing? Like there's a whole regional network. We have playoffs because that's something that track doesn't have. Every sport has playoffs. We need a yeah. playoff system. And it's like, you qualify for the national pole vault club championships and the winner of each gender. Imagine they won like a hundred grand. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. This athlete goes to me. Yeah. That'd be great on non-Olympic years. <laughs> Non-Olympic years. Why would you not do it in an Olympic year? You get a hundred grand versus 30, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, th- there's a lot of people that are so stuck in the track bubble that they're not realizing what's happening outside of that bubble, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to see because there's, it's like the the Olympics is seen as like the creme de la creme, and right. I mean for good reason too. I mean you're you're seeing some of the top athletes, obviously, but and the tradition, it, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's and get yeah being able to compete for your 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 country and all that is great, and so I can definitely understand why you can get some tunnel vision, especially if you're one of those top athletes. So um yeah, well one thing yeah obviously with the 2021 Olympics coming up, mm-hmm. uh there's a we have a really talented field of especially younger vaulters that are, are really showing to be very, very talented. Wondering, want to know who do you got, who do you have, uh, as favorites or, or maybe some underdogs for, for, for vaulting. So I, one of my underdogs, uh, that I think about, and I had him on the podcast is Sandre. Uh, Oh yeah. I I apologize if I said your last name, (laughs) but, um, I mean, think about this. If Mondo didn't exist, we would all be talking about Sandre right now. Yeah. Or the right. guy from Greece. Uh, what, what's sure. his name? Sure. Yeah. I mean, him, I mean, if anybody's a dark horse, he is because yeah. you don't know if that guy's going to make it into the pit 
half the time. <laughs> yeah, I, his I videos mean, are crazy. Yeah, I mean, I watch that video. And listen, just having fun, it is fun, right? You watch his video, and I'm glad he enjoys it and he put it out there. But as a coach, I'm like, yeah. what is going on? You have that talented of an athlete, and this guy looks like he misses the pits more than he makes it. Yeah, you know. Um, so sometimes that's shocking to me. At, at that level, you see that there's still people that are so erratic because I'll, I'll tell you what, from a business mindset, I think about it and I'm like, if I was running my club and half the time people miss the pit, I wouldn't have a business. No one would want their kids to train with me. Yeah. You know, that you have to make it into the pit. I, I just don't know how else to say that. Um, so <laughs> the, yeah, the, the Greek guy, it's like, I, I don't know about him, but Sandre, I think He's a little bit of a dark horse for me because I think he's super, super talented. I think there's a lot left in his jump. You know, I think he's got the physicality. He trains hard. And if he can fix a couple things, he could be a real player. Mm -hmm. I think another dark horse that you can't, you know, it's a, you almost forgot about him, but Tiago, he hasn't been jumping that much, but he seems to be ramping up for the Olympics and giving him another year to train. That, that might be very beneficial. But then obviously, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you pick against Mondo? Yeah. I, I mean, on the guy side, I mean, he, he's, he looks so bulletproof, right? I mean, he's broken the world record twice. And I'm not, you know, I don't think, again, if we had a debate who's the best vaulter of all time, I don't think I'd give it to Mondo yet because I think you need more than just the world longevity record. Longevity-wise? Yeah, longevity, the championships, because no one can ever take a championship away. Records always can be broken, but you can't take a championship away. Um, so, you know, but I, I think the fact that he he seems to be consistently, like if you look at this past indoors, jumping well over 19.6, like every meet, I don't know. Like who who's going to beat him? Like I know Sam is consistent, mm-hmm. but it's like he, Sam's almost got to hope that Mondo has a bad day at the Olympics for him to win, you know? Yeah, I think that Mondo has shown that he's – one of the best, if not the most talented uh, vaulters. Uh, I've seen some of his hip height videos and or screenshots yeah. and how he puts like darn near feet over like bars that I, I can't comprehend, like over six meter bars. He's jumping them with ease. Like he's, he's got insane talent. I'm, I'm very, I, I'm very I, excited I love, for a, I what? love to call that sauce. When you blow up a bar, it's like you're putting some sauce on that steak. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. He he's awesome. I'm. I know. I'm. I'm really looking forward to that documentary, Learn to Fly, coming out. Uh, yeah. pretty pretty soon. That should be cool to kind of see that. Like what you were saying, the other side of of Mondo, right. the misses, the missteps, all the all the things that you don't see normally. Yeah, just, I mean, that's gonna just be things that you don't know. You know what yeah. drives him? Because that that's the thing that I feel like we don't get as a track community. Like. You know, watching the last dance with Michael Jordan, you know, yeah. um, you get to see the inside, like who is Michael Jordan? How did yeah. he become so great? And I'd love to know more about Mondo because I'll tell you something that was telling. Did you watch the Garden Clash? I, I saw a little bit of it. I, okay. I wasn't able to see all of it though. So it ends in a tie between yeah, Renault and Mondo. Mm-hmm. And Renault is kind of just like, listen, like I'm done. Like I'm tired. I think he had some, an injury acting up. Mm-hmm. But Mondo was fired up. He's like, tie. Like, yeah, if we, we do three <laughs> tiebreakers, but like, I, I want to keep going. And then he yeah. ran, took another jump and wrote down 37, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, this guy is a champ. Like he, yeah. he does not want to tie. He, he wants to go after it. And I was mm-hmm. like, 
that that put him up a few notches in my book. I'm like, okay, I like I like to see that. You you need that intensity. I, I just I feel like sometimes in track we forget it's it's still you know you're trying to win. The reason you're trying to jump high is to win. You know, yeah. that's why I think someone that I have as a dark horse, and this is we have. To, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure if he's going to qualify. I think he will, but I'm not sure. I think the the one guy that might be able to beat Mondo is the guy that has already beat him before with Chris Nielsen. He's yeah. shown that he knows how to take down the best vaulter in the world at that point. Right. In one of the biggest, actually in the biggest collegiate competition of the entire year in what, yeah. in what was it? Outdoor nationals. Yep. He already Mondo already has an indoor national record uh, or indoor NCAA record. And you know that he wants to take that, get that in the outdoor NCAA title mm-hmm. and Chris Nielsen shows up when Mondo doesn't. Yep. Uh, so I think that he has an opportunity because he's just such a big, strong guy yeah. that if he, if he can get on a, you know, some pretty big poles, which he already is, like he has an opportunity to, to really, I think, show up and show out. I think he's a, a guy that you got to watch out for as well. Yeah, I mean, when I think about, you know, like some people talk about a finesse vaulter, some people talk about a power vaulter. I think Chris is a power vaulter. Like he's going to go in there, smash the shit out of the pole and just let it fly. (laughs) And you're right. I mean, you know, that was a a shocking win and it, it was amazing. I think people also don't understand when you're supposed to win and now someone takes the lead in the competition, you know, maybe clears mm-hmm. that, that higher bar first attempt. Cause he was skipping a lot of bars to try to catch up. Right. And yeah. here's the other thing. Now you have pressure on you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, like in basketball, look, those, those guys who play in the NBA that are three point shooters, they, if you had them in a gym and gave them a hundred shots, they probably make like 90 of them, something yeah. ridiculous. And yet no one has more than like a 40% three point percentage. Right. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing too, there are guys that can make it in the clutch and there's guys that can't. And I think the same thing happens in the pole vault. No problem. If, if you're the underdog and you happen to win, there was no pressure. Mm-hmm. If you're, you're the leader and you're supposed to win and no one's pushing you, easy to win. But now when it's close, when it's tight, do you yeah. have the nerves to still run tall, plant on time, swing fast, you know? That's, that's something that not enough people talk about it. Some people can handle pressure and some people can't. Yeah. That's something that, uh, I know from a personal, uh, story I've struggled with a lot. Uh, I know that my, in my high school and collegiate career, uh, I did really well in those meets that didn't mean a whole lot. Uh, and then when, when we reached those, those conference championships or the state state meets or whatever it might be or in the, in the collegiate level of the conference championships in high school, it wasn't right. as big of a deal, but once you reach those bigger meets, uh, things weren't going as well for me, which is, you know, kind of something else I wanted to, to touch on, uh, sure. is like, is, is mental toughness. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that it's underestimated, uh, or underdetermined for how important it is to be focused uh, with your mind, not just your body, because I think a lot of athletes, uh, not just in pole vaulting, but in, in all sports, well, b- focus before on we the switch body. gears. I apologize. Before oh, yeah. we switch gears, um, what do you think on the women's side? Oh yeah, uh, women's side. On the women's side, I I really think Sandy Morris. Like this is her her time. I mean, coming in second place uh, in the previous uh, it was second place previous Olympics, right? 
Yep. Yes. Yeah. Come in second place. I think that uh, I, I got to go with her. Um, mm-hmm. I like her. Then uh, I'm I'm gonna butcher her name uh, from Greece. Um, what what is it? Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think she's also someone that's just super consistent. Yeah. Like, did you see her in the garden? The garden. Yeah. Uh, Oh my god! Yeah, super consistent, super clean. So I think it's going to be a battle between those two, uh, and just got to give it to the Homer uh, with uh, yeah. Sandy uh, there. But I, yeah. I definitely think Sandy is physically the best in the world right now. Like I, I don't know if anybody runs faster, but she she's lights out. Um, my only thing is, and I'm not sure what they're going to do with the Russians. Yeah, that's Sidorova a- is lights out now. She's I mean that. Crazy. From a technical standpoint, I don't think there's a single vaulter that I like their jump better, male or female. I just I love Sidorova's jump, um, but like you said, I, I think San- Sandy could be anybody. Like she puts together a good jump, she'll crush anybody. Um, Super competitive too. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, she's definitely competitive. She gets fired up. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I will say, like you brought up, Katarina. Katarina is just so consistent. I don't know that every time she's won a meet that she has been maybe physically the best, meaning like the fastest on the runway or the strongest, yeah. but she is just so smooth and she's so consistent that if you, you leave any mistake out there, she's going to capitalize, take the lead, win the meet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as dark horses, I'll tell you another one that I think is just a, a physical phenom, Alicia Newman. Yeah, I think Alicia Newman, she could pop 16 feet, who knows when, if she puts it together. And mm-hmm. she's definitely someone that could win the Olympics, you know? Yeah, she's someone that I think she she really has been building up her case as of recent. Uh, I think yeah. that she's really been... Uh, the past like few years, uh, maybe like three or four years ago, she was she was still learning. She was getting better, getting better quietly. And then I think really this past few years, something must have really clicked for her because uh, I know that she came from that injury a, little, a while ago with her knee. I mm-hmm. think it was in college, and now being such, I think that she has some some promise to to be really to be really strong. Uh, so I think yeah, she's someone to to be looking out for, um, you know, for the Olympics for sure. So I was actually at Alicia's meet where she jumped 15 feet for the first time. It was at the New York City Armory. Oh wow! <sighs> do, I, I don't know. Do you catch mid marks, Colin? Uh, I'm. <laughs> my coach tells me about them. I okay. <laughs> I didn't pay so, attention to them a whole lot. <laughs> I don't know if th- this will register for you, but I'm standing there watching warm ups, and. I check out this girl from Miami because she went to the U. Yeah. And she comes down, she hits a 51 mid. I'm like, what? I was blown away. You know, I mean, she was just so, so fast on the runway, so strong, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, I, I, I'll tell you what's uh, another thing that I, I think about sometimes. Um, I wonder, you know, as far as like, pole vaulting coaches and programs and, and, and stuff like that. I sometimes like, I almost wish I could pair certain athletes with certain coaches, you know, like I think yeah. Sandy, for example, is with one of the best female pole vault coaches in the world, Brian Compton from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, sometimes I almost wish, like, what if Alicia jumped with him? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I wonder what, what would happen, you know? And so it's like, I, I wonder about these pairings because even, you know, to go outside of our sport, going back to the last dance with Michael Jordan, it's like you had the best basketball player at the time 
with arguably the best basketball coach at that time, Phil Jackson. And that's why you saw that dynasty. And it's like, so it's interesting. And, and in Polvo, we've had that once, right? You had Sergei Bubka with Vitaly Petrov, arguably yeah. the greatest Polvo coach in the history of the world. I, I know, you know, there's people out there that speculate on drug use and, and this or that. But I mean, Vitaly Petrov has coached Sergei Bubka, right? Which I don't even need to go through his numbers. Everybody yeah. knows six world championships, Olympic championship, 35 world records. He's coached Giuseppe Gibalisco, who was a world champion and a bronze medalist at the Olympics. He's coached uh, Yelena Zimbaeva, where I, I believe she won at least one Olympics with uh, Petrov, broke the world record. And then he's coached Tiago, who won the Olympics and set an Olympic record. So this guy has a track record of churning out you know, athletes with his system. And even when I was watching Tiago at that last Olympics, I, I mean, watching him run down the runway, I'm like, oh my God, is that Bubka? Because <laughs> the same run, the same carry. That's a system-produced athlete. And I, I sometimes think, unfortunately, in the pole vault, we kind of are like dealing with a lot of mavericks out there where we just have these studs. But what if they were introduced to what, one of these great systems and these system coaches, you know? Yeah. Like in football, you see it. You know, it's like the West Coast offense with Bill Walsh from San Francisco who won, you know, Super Bowls with Joe Montana. Yeah. Now, you know, you talk about Bill Belichick and that system, the Bill, Bar- Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick system. You know, I'd love to see more of that kind of thing happen. Yeah, I think that it's 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 definitely complicated or just weird with the the way that coaching is for you know with with football and 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 team sports like your 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 coaches are with the teams and you know exactly like hey if you want to be coached by Bill Belichick you're you're on the Patriots or if, or if he moves to another right. team where it's just it's so different when it's with an individual sport right. uh, I think people are like married to or literally married to in certain <laughs> in certain industries right. uh, to their coach which makes it a little bit more difficult to. To, to change yeah. because it's like, hey, I grew up with this this coach. Uh, he or she has been been with me the the entire career. It's hard to change. Have you watched the Lance documentary, the Lance Armstrong? Uh, I, I saw the the intro, uh, the first episode of it. Uh, I didn't okay. get to watch a, a whole. So one. in the first episode, I caught something that I thought was really really cool. Um, you know, again, I know Lance did drugs and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. So did the whole field, right? Yeah. Um, I think I heard Lance one time say he's like. His margin of victory, he goes, if all of those guys were clean, he's like, my mar- margin of victory would still be the same. I would still win. So I, I, it's a mm-hmm. decent argument. So yeah. anyway, he's 15 years old. He's on this trip with his current coach, you know, going to some national triathlon. And on the trip, he turns to his coach and he's like, dude, I don't need you anymore. I can beat you. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting because later in his career, he worked with his Dr. Ferrari Sorry, I burped. Uh, He worked with Dr. Ferrari, who clearly was not training with Lance. Like, they weren't riding bikes together. He did the training programs. Obviously, there was drug use involved. But what I'm saying is Lance had a coach when he was younger that was basically more of a training partner. He physically pushed Lance. Yeah. Once he couldn't learn anything more from that guy, he's like, I got to go to somebody better. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in the pole vault, like kind of you were alluding to it, Sometimes you almost get sentimental. It's like, oh, well, you know, coach is a good guy and this and that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, wait, are you trying to win? Are you trying to get better? Then you can't leave a stone unturned. Yeah. You know, it's like, listen, I, I've met a lot of nice people in my life, but 
once I've, I, you know, I can't learn anything more. I move on to the next person. When mm -hmm. I started coaching, I mean, listen, there were various clubs and I don't need to mention names, but I would spend some time there, learn what I could. If I couldn't learn anymore, I went to another club. I went to another coach. I mean, heck, I even, I even got a chance to work with Alan Londo, who wrote Beginner to Booka, you know, at a couple camps. Mm -hmm. And I, I, would, I would drive 12 hours to Tennessee to work with Roman Bacharnikov. You know, and, and I sometimes wonder, I'm like, you know, some of these people, it's like, you really want to get good. You, you got to be willing to do a lot of crazy things. I mean, Toby Stevenson had this one uh, video where he's a silver medalist from 2004 in the pole vault. And he goes, listen, if your Olympic dream is really real, he goes, mm -hmm. if it means sleep in your car so you can be closer to the track and work with a coach that's better, you got to go do that. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes that's, you know, that's things that people don't do, you know, yeah, so, I, you know, go ahead. Where you yeah, going? I think, I think that it's, um, with, with really any goal, it is like, uh, when you, I think the more real that it gets, the more difficult it becomes to make sure. those tough decisions. Like yeah. it's, it's easy if I'm uh, a high school, uh, freshman and I'm like, I'm going to be the state champion by my senior year. It's easy to say that when you're right. a freshman and you're just starting out the sport, but it's really hard to make that decision when it's like, Hey, I've got to decide if I want to go hang out with my friends on Saturday night or on Friday night, because we have a meet the next day and right. I need to be able to perform there because a lot of college scouts are going to be there. It's yeah, hard or, to make those decisions. Or, you know, you have to make the decision, like, do you skip prom and go to States? Exactly. That's a, yeah. that's because I know a couple of my, uh, a couple of my teammates and, and people that I know had to make those decisions because right. prom and yeah, prom and States are like at the exact same time. So I think it's, it's hard to make those choices. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll give you an example for me. Very early on in my coaching career, I kind of, one of my dreams was to coach someone to the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why eventually I started coaching Ramphill College, right? Because I'm like, okay, now I can recruit high school kids or even let's say someone jumped at, jumped with me at the club. I can now coach someone for eight years. They could really master the sport because I kind of have that, that mixed martial arts mentality. Like you earn a black belt in about 10 years. So if I only get to coach someone for two to four, they're not going to master the pole vault. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, that gives me a longer time period, but you know, I'm coaching a division three school and at a certain point of my coaching career, I mean, like, here's the thing every year when I would look for like the positions available, typically pole vault coach positions were voluntary, right? Yeah. I would see like Michigan or Ohio state, they have a volunteer pole vault position. If I really, and I'm, and I'm being real honest, if I really wanted to coach someone to go to the Olympics, I should have packed up my shit moved to Ohio and volunteered at Ohio state. I could have recruited 17, 18 foot guys. I could have recruited 14, 14, six girls. That that's how you coach someone to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Right. But at that point in my life, I kind of changed my goals. Cause I realized I was like, one, I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. I'm not going to go coach voluntarily, you know, now have to uproot my whole life. What to coach someone to go to the Olympics. And then what? Yeah. And you it's, know. it's fine to make those decisions. Like, oh, it's, yeah. like it's like, and like, so when for anyone listening, like, it's not like, Oh, like you're a failure. Cause you didn't do it. Not at all. You changed your mindset. And that's, and now you have an, something that 
is probably bringing a lot more value than someone just going to one Olympics, uh, sure. possibly. So it's like changing your goals and finding what you want to to actually do is is something that's really, really important because there's tons of times where I thought, I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is important to me in, in athletics, school, professional, whatever it is. And then I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what I want to do. And, you know, shuffle. And that's yeah. that's important to do. Well, I mean, my viewpoint was, Here's the thing. I do love helping people. I do love coaching the pole vault. And I was like, by building up my business, I will always have people to coach. I will always have people that want my instruction, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you go down that Olympic path. Okay, so now you finish. You coach, you know, John Doe to the Olympics. He's done. He retires. Now what? Now you got to go find the next person? Yeah. Who says there's going to be somebody waiting? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas like at my club man, I mean, obviously prior to coronavirus and hopefully soon <laughs> again, yeah. you know, you walk in the club, you have two pits, there's 18 athletes all pole vaulting. You know, it's, it's the energy is huge. You're helping people. Everyone's having mm-hmm. a blast. To me, that's awesome. Listen, if the right athlete comes through my door, awesome. That's great. We have great, great stuff to provide them. We can give them great coaching, great equipment. Heck, I could even give them a part-time job. You know, so I think that's a lot of value. I just, for me, I was like, there's something wrong with our system the way it is right now, you know? And that's why even something I said earlier, I feel bad for some people that are chasing that Olympic dream and not kind of thinking about the other opportunities that are out there. You know, why don't you start a club? Why don't you start putting on local events? Don't wait to be invited to the Diamond League meets, you know, get, get, Mm -hmm. get the ball rolling in your court. Yeah, there's so many other things out there uh, than just the Olympics, and you can right. you can always get them get them moving wherever it is. Uh, and I know one thing that that I wanted to kind of touch on. You, you briefly were going in the direction, but uh, I know from from my coach, not my coaching experience. I haven't really coached, but from other coaches that I've worked with and, and other um, programs that I've been in, your lifting philosophy is a little bit different yeah. than the lifting philosophies that I've, that I've been a part of, or, or I I've noticed. Cause you touched on, uh, what your lifting philosophy is for vaulting sure. and why you kind of chose it and you know, how it might differ from, from other programs. Sure. Um, so here's the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to start like this. Um, the potential NFL athletes are paying millions of dollars a year to get strength and conditioning training to become faster and better athletes for the NFL combine. Mm-hmm. This is facts. Now we go back to pole vault where we just talked about not a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. And now you have coaches that are poo-pooing strength and conditioning. Here, here's my question. How many pole vault coaches, right? I mean, they may be somewhat knowledgeable in pole vault, because you know there's a lot of coaches out there that aren't as knowledgeable as they should be even in the event itself. Mm-hmm. How much knowledge do they have in strength and conditioning? Yeah, there's not a, not a ton of there's, – there's a very limited amount of good coaches and then good strength and conditioning coaches and, as well. And full disclosure, I graduated uh, college. I was a high school English teacher. So I, I did not take exercise science, kinesiology, biology. I mean, these are all things that I, on my own time, I read, researched, you know, and implemented programs. You know, I, I will tell you, again, strength and conditioning. One of the most well-respected coaches' names in strength and conditioning is Charlie Francis. He's the guy who coached Ben Johnson, 
to run 979 in 1988 at the Olympics and mm-hmm. failed for steroids. In the track world, everyone poo-poos Charlie Francis. But yet he built a system where he's churning out athletes that the thing that a lot of people don't understand with Charlie Francis, he was not a college coach at that point. He wasn't recruiting all-stars. He was working with youth athletes and grooming them to be world-class. So this guy's like cover to cover, beginning to end, coaching people. And he created a great system. So that's one of the guys that I started to follow. Then I started looking in the strength and conditioning world. I follow a lot of Mike Boyle stuff. He's a guy in New England. People should look him up. He's awesome. He's also running a great business. Um, then I found Westside Barbell, Louis Simmons. They're insane. Oh, my yeah. God. This, this guy has coached more 1,000-pound squatters than the rest of the world. And on top of it, you know, because I know a lot of people are like, well, pole vaulters aren't powerlifters, Bronco. This guy trains UFC fighters, football players, baseball players, all kinds of different athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I start to look at the pole vault world and like people are obsessed with bodyweight stuff. And don't get me wrong, bodyweight stuff has its place. But how are you supposed to make yourself better? You're telling me all these football players who are trying to run faster in the 40 yard dash, which is comparable to pole vault, right? Like, in pole vault, guess what, guys? We don't run 300 meters. You don't need to run 300 meters. In fact, I mean, like, if you like running 300 meters, by all means, go run 300 meters. You do but nine you, steps at most. <laughs> right. If you, ne- if you told me you never want to run 300 meters, no problems. We can train you, you know? You don't have to do that. But it's like all these people want to just talk about body weight stuff, and it's like, but why are all these football players wasting their time with strength and conditioning then? Why are they squatting? Why are they deadlifting? You're telling me they're paying all that money to work with people that actually have degrees or certifications in strength and conditioning. You're saying that all those people are wrong and all these pole vault people with limited strength and conditioning knowledge, they know better. I mean, even, I don't know if you listen, uh, Sam Kendricks and his dad, Scott, they did one of those like pole vault live YouTube events, um, okay. uh, maybe a month and a half ago now. And Scott even said, he's like, listen, like, I don't really know a lot about lifting. We try to stay out of the weight room. And then he, but then he, he said this, he goes, but I'll admit, I kind of cheated before Sam came to high school. I would always pick out the fast football players who did a lot of weight room training and mm-hmm. had them pull bowl. Well, wait a second. How, if that's what made those guys fast, why would that not make your average pole vaulter faster? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and so the way I look at strength and conditioning, like, again, you have to look at, at a power to weight ratio. You don't want your pole vaulter getting big and bulky. No, I don't want them to look like a power lifter because in power lifting, it doesn't matter. You can keep putting on weight and just lift more weight. But a yeah. pole vaulter, you got to look at body weight. Body weight is important. I'm also, I want people to eat healthy. I don't want anybody to be anorexic or bulimic. Um, in fact, I feel like more so I've had to tell athletes to eat more, not less. Right. Mm -hmm. And teach them how to eat. Like, you know, you got to have enough protein. If you're an athlete, I think a lot of people don't realize you need about 80% of your body weight in grams of protein a day. So if you weigh a hundred pounds, you're talking about 80 grams of protein. And first of all, it's very rare that you have an athlete that weighs hundred pounds. 80 Mm -hmm. grams of protein is a lot harder to consume than you think in a day. Yeah. So you start to look at power to weight ratio and for example, like one of my guys that I always talk about is Calvin Hartman, who coaches for me now. When he came into Rampo, he weighed 150 pounds. And his first season of doing single leg squat, he did 165 pounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
by senior year, he weighs 185 pounds. So you might be thinking, Colin, you're like, wow, you know, Bronco, he got a little bit fat. Maybe he got too big to pole vault, but no. Now he's single leg squatting over 300 pounds. Well, there you go. Jeez. Yeah. So he's, he's about doubled his strength and he's only put on 35 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a net gain. That's simple math, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even I've, I've had, you know, if, if you really want to get in the nitty gritty, I've had uh, Cam Joss on, who's a strength and conditioning coach. I think now he just, he started, he took a full-time position at UNC Chapel Hill and he talks about how they had a linebacker that they knew like 240 pounds was a sweet spot. He was super fast in the 40. If mm. he weighed 245, 250, he'd lose a little bit of speed. He must have been carrying too much fat. If he went below 240, he lost muscle mass and was slow again. Yeah. So they knew that. So you can figure that out with your athletes. But if you're not implementing deadlift, squats in some form, bench press, pull-ups, some variation, these are simple push-pull exercises. You're not building your athlete. You are not going to build muscle tissue by just doing bodyweight exercise. You could be fit. You could be in shape, but you're not going to build muscle. You know? yeah. um, and, I, and I think all too often, again, people don't want to talk about diet. It's very taboo. But it's like that's why they're scared of lifting because they think, oh, lifting is going to make them bulky. I mean, that's what they used to think about baseball players and basketball players like in the 80s. They don't think that anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I just, I think, you know, in the public community, we, we've got to like step up, you know? I mean, like strength and conditioning is a real thing. And don't take my advice. Like I said, I, I was an English teacher. Go ask a strength and conditioning coach. And I've had strength and conditioning coaches contact me, and this is really, really sad. So Colin, this division one strength coach called me up one day and he's like, look, I'm trying to you know, develop my program for my pole vaulters. He goes, Bronco, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. He goes, what is the most recent strength and conditioning article or study related to pole vaulting that I could find? What do you think? What year? Uh, uh, 2012. 1983. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> right. Because th- think about this. Most colleges even, they're lucky if they have 10 pole vaulters. So at a division one with a, you know, comparable strength and conditioning coaches, they're not really working with pole vaulters all that often. Yeah. So they're not mm-hmm. going to take the time to publish a study because here's the thing. How many people are going to buy that book? Yeah, maybe 10 over 10 years. <laughs> right. You know, so that's why our, our field is a little bit neglected. We have to build it up, but you know, I, I there's this strength coach also in the Boston area. You can look him up. He has a podcast, Ryan Flaherty. He works mm-hmm. with Serena Williams. He works with a lot of professional athletes. He also has female track athletes. They're sprinters. They're Olympians. They weigh 135 pounds, and they could trap, trap bar deadlift over 500. That's crazy. Right. So it's like you're telling me that your high school, college pole vaulter shouldn't be strength training because you think they're going to get bulky, but these 135-pound females, they're trap bar deadlifting 500 and you're lucky if your male vaulter can do 400 mm-hmm. there, there's a problem there there's yeah. a problem there yeah i think because the the vault if you want to break it down into its yeah. most simplest terms it's about speed power and flexibility right if you don't have those three things you're you may find success if you're really fast but you're not very strong you're going to have trouble moving poles if you're really flexible and you're really 
strong, but you're not fast, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to, to jump really high. So, and I think people sometimes think, oh, if I do, if I lift for like a month, I'm going to automatically be able to bench 300 pounds, which is not the case. <laughs> like no, when people not. say, when people are like, oh, I'm scared of getting bulky, you're, you're scared of something that hasn't happened. Like right. your people don't gain, don't gain all of this muscle in a blink of an eye. You don't wake up one day and you, and you, you're 50 pounds heavier. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. I, I think I've heard that drug free, drug free. Yeah. The most weight of muscle mass you could put on in a week, I think is two pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like a lot of training, that's a, a lot that's, of chicken and broccoli. That's a full-time like, job. When, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. It's, it's, it doesn't happen overnight, which is why I think that there's just that, that misinformation is, is big where people are like, Hey, we're, we're just going to focus on speed workouts or, Hey, we're just going to focus on gymnastic techniques. It, it's great. You need to do that for sure. Uh, but it's also very important to be able to, you know, be able to move, move weight because that's, that's a big part of, of any athlete, not just. Well, the so, so let me give you, give you two points on that too. One, when, um, some of my some of my athletes talked to Sam Kendricks at Akron one year. They were asking about his lifting program, and he was like, "Well, I don't really lift." He goes, "But I can easily squat four hundred pounds." So now think about that. He can already squat double his body weight naturally, mm-hmm. right? Without pushing the numbers. Mm-hmm. So no wonder he can hit the speeds that he can hit, right? I know he's arguably the slowest guy to jump, however high he jumped, but he's still mm-hmm. fast. Like he's not a high school vaulter, right? Yeah. Then the other thing is, I think that a lot of pole vault coaches tend to deal with only upper echelon coach, uh, athletes. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say you're, you know, you're coaching a division one SEC. It's like, yeah, you have athletes that if you take them into the gymnastics room, they can already do a muscle up on rings. They can already do, you know, a back handspring or they can yeah. do, you know, pullovers or giants on the high bar. What do you do with someone who doesn't have the prerequisite strength to accomplish those things? You got to build it. Right. And there's only one way to build it. And, and even at the club, to, to use pullovers as an example, we strongly believe the pullover is the best high bar exercise that you can do as a pole vaulter. A, a giant, you're really just hanging on. And you know, if you're just hanging on to a pole, good luck. It's not, not going to do as much pole. Yeah. You're not going to swing that fast. A pullover, you have to actually use your upper body and, boom, and wrap around the bar, right? Mm-hmm. We've found that if you can, you know, in very quickly do a pullover and no touch the bar, you're probably going to be a really efficient pole vaulter on the pole. Like you're going to have a good push off. Yeah. What we found is that you at minimum need to do 50% of your body weight in a weighted pull up to be able to no touch the bar to do pullovers. Like mm-hmm. when we, when we had people that could no touch the, the, the bar and pullovers, and now you test them in pullups, they easily hit that 50% number. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, when you had people that couldn't no-touch the bar, once they hit that 50% number, they could now no-touch the bar and pullovers. So just to give numbers for people. So let's say you were a 150-pound male and you could do pull-ups with 75 pounds, you're probably going to be able to no-touch the bar and pullovers. So we already know like at Apex, because of the amount of people that we've had, that, okay, these are certain numbers that are meaningful. Like if you could attain this power to weight ratio and this exercise or that exercise, you will be able to accomplish this physical feat, which will then lead to a PR. Does that yeah. make sense? 
Yeah, uh, I think that you need to, if you want to look at how to be successful in, in any sport, especially the vault, it, it's so much more than just the number of on the crossbar at the meet. There's so many, you, like you have to be able to be successful right. in the drills that you don't want to do. You have to be right. successful in the, on the, the runnings, the runs you don't want to do or the lifts that, that, you know, you're like, how are, how is this Bubka going to help me be a better vaulter? Right. Uh, I mean, well, that's a little obvious because it's named after a guy, but yeah. like, or how are these single leg squats going to help me jump, you know, two inches higher? It's right. like, well, it's while this individual exercise uh, it doesn't directly correspond. It corresponds to something that you need to do while you're running or right. whatever it is so you can be a better athlete. Right, right. I mean, look, going back to the Ryan Flaherty example of those, those females that weigh 135 and trap bar deadlift 500, well, they're going to be able to apply more force to the ground and create yeah. bigger stride lengths. So whether mm -hmm. it's single leg squat, box squat, free squat, deadlift you have your personal lifting number and now you know if that number gets bigger you are going to hit a further out mid you will be able to take off from further out you'll be able to jump up better mm -hmm. and that will help you get on bigger poles bigger grips and jump higher so it's like it's like one thing leads to to the next um there was something else that you said that made me think um man now, now it escapes me. No, no problem. Uh, I know yeah. kind of looking at it on the, the opposite way is, uh, I, I remember it was, it was super funny to me, uh, when Mondo was in high school and he okay. was in the state championship meet and people are, are going crazy because they see like, Oh man, like this guy can jump 50 feet in the triple jump and he can run sub 11 in the hundred people are like, right. how does he do that? And I'm like, and they're like super surprised. I'm like, I'm not surprised at all because this yeah. is a guy that is jumping, uh, national records as uh, a 18, 17 year old kid. If you're, if you're going to be able to do that, you have to be sub 11 fast. You sure. have to have, you know, power out of like be able to jump over 20 feet and all like you, you have to be able to do that. And it's, it's with whatever you want to do. Like it, there's these muscle groups, uh, are, can translate into pretty much whatever you want. And you, you build those muscle groups through lifting and, and, you know, well, being disciplined. It's, it's almost like a prerequisite, right? Like, yeah. oh, okay, you want to jump 19 feet? You got to run sub 11 in the 100, you know? And yeah. not to say that you have to do the 100, but you have to do some kind of speed test, right? Yeah. Um, even going back to Louis Simmons and Westside Barbell, what I always loved about them was because they had this collection of athletes, right, you know, that could squat over 1,000 pounds, if you came in there and you had a 700-pound squat and you're like, well, I want to squat 800, well, you're training with guys that squat 800, so now you see, okay, what else can they do that I can't do? Mm -hmm. How much weight do they have on hamstring curls, on leg extensions? How much weight do they have in the deadlift? How much weight do they have on the reverse hyper? How much weight can they do in good mornings, right? So there's yeah. all these other exercises or drills that they can do better than you. So you have to try to get those drills and exercises better so that hopefully one day your squat gets better. And going back yeah. to what you said, you know, if there's a drill you're not good at, right? Like let's say I jump, I don't know. Let's say I jump 13 feet and your PR is 15 mm. and I see you do this drill that I suck at and you do it perfectly. I go, wow, I got to learn that drill because he jumps higher than me. If I could do that, then I might be able to jump higher and get close to that PR. Exactly. And now I, I kind of remember what I was going to say. I, I think a lot of times too, with as far as like you brought up like lifting, look, squatting is hard, man. If you do a heavy squat session or a heavy deadlift session, you're going to feel lightheaded. 
you, mm-hmm. you might want to throw up. And when's the last time that someone really like threw up from body weight stuff, you know, or a gymnastics, yeah. uh, uh, you know, workout. Yeah. And one of our guys, Calvin Gould, he's a 15 foot, uh, vaulter. He, he had a great saying, he goes, people will believe anything as long as it means they don't have to work as hard. Yep. <laughs> so if you come up, if I'm over here, I'm jumping 16 feet and Colin, you go Bronco, you don't have to ever do squats. I'm like, I'm Let's on go. board. <laughs> no problems there. You uh-huh. know? So yeah, it, everyone's looking for the, the quick fix and it's yeah. like, Hey, what, what's the, f- like, what's the, the recipe so, for five minute abs so I can have a six pack in, in, in two days and I don't have to right. do, I can still sit down and eat chips and do everything. Like you, you can't do that. Uh, you got it. You got to put in the work. It's not easy. And you know, part of the work is, is the, is the body. Like you need to work out mm-hmm. the body. You have to be in peak physical shape, yeah. but you, you can't underestimate the power of the mind, especially in the vault. I mean, do you right. guys focus at, um, anything on, Hey, how can our athletes be more prepared for those big moments so that when, when they come, they can shine, uh, you know, whether it's in States districts or whatever. Right. So look, th- this is, and I have no data to, to support this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I could just literally take you through moments that I've had over the years with athletes. But I think traditionally speaking, our athletes always perform above and beyond at big meets for the most part. Obviously, we've had a bad meet here or there, yeah. but we we go hard, you know. Um, we're we're gonna take that pressure full full on and put out our best show. And that's really big. Um now a caution. I think you have to have a good system first. You have to have good training, physical training, right? Good mm-hmm. technique before you can even start tackling that mental end, edge of it, right? Yeah. So it's like, even like at the club, like, listen, for a beginner athlete, it's all fun and games. We're just learning. They're getting introduced. But mm-hmm. as that person starts to become a competitive high school vaulter, maybe sophomore, junior, senior year, you know, certainly at the college level, <laughs> I don't know. I make them compete at practice. I mean, there, there's something to be said, you know, I, I think you need to know that there's a pack of dogs chasing you. And so, you know, we always have a little stretch period during the warm up, and I'm notorious for this. I'd be like, oh, hey, Sally, did you, did you hear, did you hear what Jen did? Jen squatted, you know, another, another 20 pounds more, mm-hmm. or Jen wrapped this bungee, or hey, t- Tim, did you hear about Steve? He wrapped 17 the other day. He got on the 14 sevens in practice from a five. (laughs) And so the reason I'm doing that is like, listen, if it's just going to be all fun and games the whole time, when you go to a meet and now there's a a competitive part where now it's like, oh my God, like I was supposed to win counties and now this kid is chasing me. You're going to fold. But Mm -hmm. when they're constantly at practice, duking it out, practice after practice after practice, and don't get me wrong. I mean, we have technical sessions where it's more technique, but there's always like, I would say at least once a week where it's like, no, no, we're going to compete right now. And even, you know, at the club, we have a lifting board. We have club records for the lifts. Oh, hey, oh, you want to go to States? Well, look at what this, this number over here is. Did you do this in squats yet? Did you do this in pull-ups? You know, and it's like, because mm-hmm. you, you have to hold athletes accountable, you know, and listen, I love my athletes. I'll do anything for them. I want them to feel good and 
and and if they're upset, we're gonna have a talk. You know what I mean? Like if they have mm-hmm. a bad meet or something. Yeah. But I'm always gonna remind them there's always someone out there working hard. And if you're not working hard and you're not willing to do what it takes, you're gonna get passed up. And that's just the reality of it. And I think when you constantly have that kind of pressure, plus they have a huge faith in the system. They know, you know, it's like we go to meet, they know. They're like, if if I if if I'm hitting this mid, if Bronco tells me I can grip up and go up a pole, then we could do it and they go. Yeah. That, I guess the other huge thing going, and this kind of goes back to me saying earlier, it's like, listen, you can't run a business if people are getting rejected half the time or they're missing the mats. Yeah. When they're always jumping in practice and it's kind of a, it tends to be a blow through in practice. You're always landing deep in the pit. You're always having safe jumps and every, and, and here's the thing. If every time I grip you up or every time we go up a pole, you jump higher and still land deep in the pit, you have great feedback. You have great Mm -hmm. sensation. I think where a lot of coaches mess people up is they're constantly pushing grip and pull to the point where now athletes are getting stood up, heading towards the standard, or even maybe sliding down the pole and landing in the box. Mm -hmm. That's a bad feedback, right? Like, Colin, you're going to be thinking about that. Now we're at States, and I'm like, dude – you got to go to that 1570 and you're like, Oh, when I went on that in practice, I almost, I almost landed in the box. Yeah. How hard are you going to be hitting that pole? Yeah. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be half-assing it. And the, the thing about the vault is you cannot, it's a, it's a, you have to be 100%. You have to go, uh, which, which is why being, being, confident in in your jumps and having a being confident in your coach making sure that you know that they're doing uh what's best for you in that competition in that moment is so important and if if you don't have that confidence in yourself it's going to be difficult for you to succeed in in practice or uh in competitions and and i know this because i i had some confidence issues especially my junior year of college i was just running through all the time in practice i was running through in meets and i'm just those are just jumps that you're giving away it's just things that you're, you're those are attempts that you don't have that somebody else has and they're wasted attempts and and that that comes that's part of the mental game because I know the poll's not going to reject me like this is my warm up poll it's not going to reject me but if you're if you're in the mindset of I'm not going to be able to do this you're you've already you've already lost half the battle there yeah i i you know and when i hear stories like that i mean earlier in my coaching career i had some athletes that had run through issues and i have to say i don't think it's mental as much as the system wasn't refined yet I let athletes develop certain bad habits that they couldn't get out of, you know? Um, like I, I had one athlete, Adam Laser, um, his lifetime best was 15, five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just, he was notorious. He, I mean, he, he did not jump in practice. It, it, he could do threes, three lefts. He could jump from sometimes he could jump from a five. That's it. He would never jump from anything further back than that. In warmups, typically he didn't put up a single jump and the bar would go up and he would jump. But I think Adam, you know, was one of my first athletes. There were certain things that we did process-wise that I we just don't do anymore, you know. And I think it was at a time where, you know, some of the coaches that I was learning from, like that was their big spiel was like, you're always trying to get on the next pull at practice. You're always trying to get on the next pull at practice. And I, you know, eventually figured out this is not the best way to pole vault because 
every time I'm just getting comfortable, now you throw me another pole where I've got to feel like I got to go balls to the wall just to get into the pit, never mind have good technique. Mm-hmm. Where now at Apex, it is so rare. I mean, athletes are typically not jumping within 20 pounds of the pole that they compete on, you know? So for mm-hmm. example, like my one guy that jumped 15 this year, and he's a big guy, um, but he was gripping, I think, 14.4, 14.6 to jump 15, which is, okay. you know, not the best efficiency-wise. Yeah. But big kid, he, was, he did that on a 16.190 or 195. The biggest pole he touched in practice was probably a 15.85. That's a pretty big difference. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I mean, granted, we didn't do sevens at practice. That's the yeah, other thing. Obviously. We, yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing – so few long runs at practice now, you know, we almost like open up the season at maybe a five or a six. And then a couple of weeks you add a left couple of weeks, you add a left. And we just do the math at the meet because think about it like this, like, like Colin, like imagine like, okay, you have no problems at your five. And I don't know. What was your five left pole? Uh, shoot. I couldn't, tell. I think right now it, it was 14, seven, one, one sixty-five, maybe. I, sure. I, I haven't vaulted in over a year, so it's been some time. <laughs> so fourteen seven sixty-five. That's your five left pole. And let's say we had a meet last week. You jumped from a five. So what I would just do, if like, especially knowing your mids or something like that, I'd be like, okay, we're gonna go same grip, same pole. Let's just go back eleven feet or twelve feet. Mm-hmm. You come down, you hit a mid. You know, you take a jump. It's probably a huge blow through. So now you, you're already feeling. You're like, dude, I gotta go up. I'm like. Okay, let's go back a half. You're a little bit tight. Go up five pounds. Just go up two fingers. So you're at a point now as an athlete, you're like, what the hell? Why did coach not go up like two grips, two poles? Like, I got to, like, let's do that. So yeah. I'm almost like now building you up where you want to go up, you know? So now you blow through again. Like, oh, man, you know what? That does look good. Let's go up a grip, go back another half, up another pole. Before you know it, you're going to be on a 14, 7, 75, 80 from a six and probably attempting a PR. Mm-hmm. So now how are you going to feel when we go back to a seven or eight later in the season? I mean, you're going to kill it, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, I never made you do something that you didn't feel comfortable at. In, in fact, if anything, I, I had you do something that, you know, you, you felt like wasn't enough. You're like chomping at the bit to do, to do the, do the bigger grip, bigger pull. Yeah. It's, it's being able to create these good habits and making sure that you're taking baby steps because yeah. if, if you're, the second that you have a bad habit in, in vaulting, it's so hard to break those. And with everything, like it's so hard to break a bad habit, especially if you, if you've built it over a couple of years, like if, if you're, if you're a guy that, uh, is, is just folding at the top of the jump, like you're, you're, you're flagging yeah. like crazy. That's super hard to, to get rid of. Or if you're, or if you're, you're chopping your feet right at the, right at takeoff, it's super hard to get rid of. So you want to make sure you're building it from the beginning. So, you know, to, to add on that, this is where, again, like, you know, when I brought up the Lance thing, you know, about him switching coaches, he's like, look, like I'm better than you already. Like, I don't need you anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're having a problem, like, let's say you flag out and this has been a problem for a year, two years now. And the only correction you're getting is you're doing full jumps and your coach is like, well, you're flagging out. Cool, bro. How do I fix it? Like I, this is a big gripe I have with a lot of people. It's like, yeah, everybody saw that person flagged out. What are you going to do to fix it? Yeah. That gets me aggravated as a coach because for me, it's like, 
listen, like this is my craft. You know what I mean? Like, you know, some people, they, they, they do woodwork, you know, some people, they maybe are really good at building knives or something, or, you know, someone out there is, is a mechanic, you know, they work on sports cars, you know, this yeah. is my craft. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, it's like, if you have an athlete that's literally making the same mistake year after year, one bad on the coach, they need to contact somebody and ask for advice and help. And mm-hmm. I, and listen, I've certainly had lots of people contact me. I'm always happy to help, you know? definitely, you know, anything anybody needs, just reach out Two, if you're an athlete at some point, you got to be like, I'm not getting what I need here. They're giving me the same answer. And I have the same mistake every single time. And the thing that I think a lot of coaches lean on Colin, a lot of people coach high school kids. So naturally you have that boy come in, hasn't hit puberty yet. He's a freshman or sophomore, 11 foot PR. And now by senior year, wow, Johnny's jumping 14. Look how well we did. Well, first of all, Johnny went through puberty, you know, so obviously he's going to PR. Secondly, here's the thing. Everybody who's coaching right now, I think they have at least somewhat of an understanding of pole vault. They can help people jump higher than if they had no coach, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, again, if year after year as a coach, you're like, why do I have the same issues with every athlete? Why does everybody plateau when we get to this point of our system? Mm -hmm. Why can't we bust through that plateau? And I'm not talking about height because that, right. That's not fair. If we talk about height, listen, not everybody can jump 18 feet. Not everybody can jump 14 feet, right? Male and female. But what I'm saying is if you always get to this point where you're like, wait, we always get to this point where once we reach a certain grip, right, and it's individual for each athlete, now all of a sudden their efficiency is shot, their jump falls apart, and we're, we're not even, like, matching our PR every meet. We're always jumping a foot below the PR. What's up? What happened? Yeah. And, and, and that, that's where, again, I, I, I mean, listen, my advice, if, if, I, if you're an athlete out there and you're not getting the right answers and you don't have a, a logical, rational explanation for what's going on in your jump, you, you need to ask for help from someone. You know, unfortunately, again, with the pole vault, it's not like everybody has a lot of choices. Like even, even far between. Yeah. Like, Colin, I laugh. You know, some coaches think that Apex is their competitor. I'm like, dude, you're two and a half hours away from me. Which one of my athletes is going to drive down to you? Maybe, maybe every once in a while, there's a crazy person that's going to drive two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I've had some athletes drive two and a half hours to me. Super rare. Super mm-hmm. rare. It's like. The, the person who lives 15 minutes from my club is not going to drive to your, your, your club. We're not competitors, dude. We may compete at states. We may compete at nationals. But as far as business or clients, no, we don't compete. Not at all. I'm, I'm competing with the CrossFit gym across the street. That's mm-hmm. who I'm competing with. You yeah, know? there's not enough, uh, there's not enough um, clubs in the area and uh, you know, people that are, that are coaching the vault and, and, and understandably so because it's really expensive like it's it's sure. real it's not like you can just like get, get a couple uh squat racks you can get right. a couple you can throw some floor down you can get some barbells you can get all this and then then you're ready and everyone can everyone can go it's like you gotta you gotta get these mats that are that are very very expensive you have yeah. to have a lot of poles because you can't just get one and it's not right. gonna work and then it's it's a it's a lot of stuff you have to get which is why it's so few and far between which is unfortunate so let me let me give you this thought Colin 
You, you are right. I mean, it's, it's an expensive sport. I think the biggest expense is going to be space. Because unfortunately, you can't have a pole vaulting gym in 1,000 square feet. I have 5,400 square feet. I think people can get it done in with 3,000 square feet, right? Because mm-hmm. people got to stop thinking about, oh, I need a you know, 150-foot runway. Like, dude, you have an 80-foot runway, you're fine. Yeah. People are going to have a blast. They're going to learn the event. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. If you want to open up a gym, like if you told me, hey, Bronco, I want to open up a gym. Yeah, you, squat racks are a little bit cheaper, and you can get some of that equipment in the flooring. But now, what does that gym have to look like? Immaculate. You know, you got to paint the walls. You got to AC and heating, you mm. know, all this stuff. I mean, you got to have really fancy, fancy looking stuff. Pole vault right now is so niche that it's kind of like when CrossFit started. CrossFit gyms, the reason they were so, so, uh, so lucrative is because they were cheap. You literally found a box. You painted the walls black, the cheapest shit you could. You get kind of the cheapest rogue equipment you can, and yeah. you start running classes and you build this community. Pole vault's the same, sure. Mats, if you buy them brand new, they're gonna be twenty, thirty thousand. First of all, nobody said you have to buy brand new mats. The poles, same thing. Try to get some used poles, but you don't need a full line. Like sure, at Apex now we have over two hundred poles. We have from a ten eight seventy five all the way up to a sixteen one ninety five. And every five pounds, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody needs that to start, you know? And in fact, like, I, I still haven't done this post, but I have this idea of like the 10 poles you should buy if you're starting a program, like a yeah. high school program, but even a club. And it's like, you'd be set for most people, you know? And you could buy from there. You can buy more as you get clients. But, you know, th- yeah, I, I think it could be done. Like more, if people really who like love the vault were like to put the time in, Listen, it's, it's no more risky opening up a pole vault gym than it would be if you were opening up a, a bakery in town. Mm. You know? Who said you're going to get people buying your bread? There's already a baker in town. Everybody's been going to him. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. at least with the pole vault, you don't really have competition right now. You're opening up. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah, I think that we'll see in time uh, more and more gyms opening up. I know that uh, recently we, we've seen some some new ones open up and, and there'd be a little bit more of a focus on, on vaulting uh, across the country. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, yeah. to seeing what the vault looks like for um, you know, people in the, in the future because it's, yeah. it's a sport that is not – there's not as much – uh, a change or, or diversity. I kind of look at it a little bit uh, of where hockey was not too long ago, yeah. where it was like, hey, it's it's a harder sport to get into. Uh, it, yeah. it costs quite a bit of money if you want to get into it with the equipment. But uh, as like now, there's there's been more initiatives, more diversity in the sport, and I see you know pole vaulting be able to change and transition to that, where you're going to be getting a, a wider variety of athletes competing in it. Yeah, I. I mean, look, we probably could do even another episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the business then a lot. But yeah, I, I see some good stuff. Like I know even um, DJ Horton, who I think might mm-hmm. be in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Yeah. Um, he contacted me this year. He started a club this year. So I'm always hearing about new people starting clubs. And it's exciting for me because that's how the sport really builds up. And we make our sport more accessible. Because like what you were saying about like hockey, hockey, the reason, like you said, it's so expensive to get into it. But it's like if people start pole vaulting clubs, it makes it so accessible. You know, I mean, if you get my best value package, you know, like the gold package, it ends up being like $20 a practice, which I mean, 
I, I don't know how you could beat that with, with other activities. You yeah. know what I mean? I think, I think anything else is going to be the same or more expensive. So it gives a lot of people the opportunity to try this sport and really find out how amazing it is. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy uh, be, being able to, to do one of those things. Cause it, it's coming out to be about the price, maybe slightly more expensive as a gym membership and you're getting a full body workout uh, just like you would be getting there. So, I mean, I'm excited to see how, uh, the vault expands, but, um, you know, wh- where could, uh, where could some people listening, if they want to get some more information on, on your podcast or, or, or apex vaulting, if they're in the, the New Jersey area, where could they, they find that stuff? Sure. Yeah. Um, we have our website, it's just apexvaulting.com. I always tell people if, if you want to reach me, just email me at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, on Instagram, we're the real apex vaulting and we're apex vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, and we also have our podcast, the Apex Vaulting Podcast, and we're, we're always happy to help anybody. Just shoot us a DM or email us, whatever, and um, you know, constantly trying to help as many people as we can. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Bronco. It's been awesome. Uh, I'm sure we could we could go on for another hour yeah. and a half about about what uh, what our thoughts are on the vault. But uh, thanks for taking the time, and to, to all everybody listening, thanks for for tuning in. Uh, make sure that you follow subscribe and you know give the podcast a rate i'll see you guys next thursday and have a good one bye awesome thanks colin thanks